Welcome to the 116th edition of the Guna Podcast. I'm your host, David Udo, and we are recording on the Monday evening after our 1-0 victory over Stoke City, ahead of next weekend's visit to Sunderland. So, let's introduce this evening's panel. First up, the man of a thousand names, which keeps the inland revenue very busy indeed. His frequent flyer aisles are the envy of us all, but he's in the UK right now, so able to grace us with the benefit of his opinions. His run of spotting Arsenal players on Hampstead High Street is worthy of a podcast of its own, the latest victim being Lucas Podolski. He was one of the panellists on the very first Guna podcast, so with our love of nostalgia, it's always good to have him on. So it's a warm welcome to the man we once called Don Sebastiano, who currently goes by the moniker of Mustafa Goldstein. Hello. Next, the editor of the Guna, and the man charged with organising things for the assembled crew this evening. He's normally here for our recordings, even when not called upon to be part of the panel. However, with other regulars otherwise engaged, our utility man is here once again to fill the gap with his ever-thoughtful views. It's a very good evening to Mr. Kevin Witcher. Good evening, David, and everybody out there listening to this very podcast. And finally, he was a regular contributor to the online Guna with his thoughts from the Barnet Hills column, although we haven't had a word from him since March of last season. Has he lost the will to live? Apparently not, as he's informed us that he's plenty to say when invited onto this evening's panel, and our thanks to him for stepping in at short notice. Perhaps he can tell us the story with Barnet's Underhill Ground, for one thing, currently enjoying its final season under Edgar Davids. Or perhaps he will stick to Matters Arsenal. We'll find out soon enough, but for now, it's a warm welcome back to Mr Pradeep Kushala. Hello. So, gents, um, starting on the pitch, I suppose, rather than in the, in the boardroom or uh, in the dressing room as to what's going on. I mean, look at everything that's happened recently. We've, we've had an awful lot of games of two halves, haven't we, Kev? Where the first half, nothing happens. You might as well not turn up, stay in the concourse getting your, your food, and then at half-time turn up and watch something from, you know, 2004. Perhaps Arsene Wenger has remembered the art of the half-time team talk. Um, quite why he can't give it before the game is another question. But um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, throughout the season we've had inconsistency. We've had some good games and some bad games. But now we're getting good halves and bad halves. And uh, it's, it's a weird one. I can't explain it. I think with the Swansea replay you could say... Swansea uh, ran out of steam a bit or were saving themselves or whatever reason um, because they had more important matters to concentrate on and certainly didn't fancy extra time. Um, the other games, I mean in Chelsea, I suppose Chelsea just took the foot off the gas um, and uh, basically allowed Arsenal to play a bit in the second half. Uh, West Ham, that was just a marvellous 12 minutes or whatever it was hmm. and we just scored hatfuls of goals and just basically destroyed West Ham and played like it was like the, the Invincibles it was just so good for that little period of time mm. um, Liverpool well that was a weird one um, besides uh, swapped roles at half time didn't they it was it was it's interesting how Liverpool kind of went into their shell a bit uh, which which sort of what makes you wonder what Brendan Rodgers says at half time because it uh, certainly didn't seem to work for them um, I can't make any sense of it, frankly. It just doesn't really... It's just a complete mystery to me. Uh, if we could play like we have in those second halves for 90 minutes, I suspect we'd be challenging for a trophy. What do you think, Bassey? I mean, I, I bumped into you very, <coughs> very, very briefly on Saturday. 
for the Stoke game, literally walked past you uh, just as we were going to the, the North Bank Upper. I was with my dad, sadly, so I couldn't stop you and say hello. But, I mean, with the exception of Saturday against Stoke, when it was just football being rubbish, I suppose, it's been an odd thing with a few highlights, hasn't it? I mean, one of the good things coming out of these games is showing that whereas last year, well, not even last year, three months ago, he was a shit right winger and fuck him signing his new contract, get rid of him. Theo Walcott scored in four of those six games and he's become our best player, hasn't he? Mm, yes, he has. Uh, he's, been, he's certainly gone up a notch, but um, I, I still think he's, he's not on his own enough. Uh, and... When it comes to, for example, the Chelsea match, I was disappointed because I thought we'd, we, we did enough to come back and get something out of that game. And we really needed a point from that game. Um, and to, to, not, to not win that. See, the thing is, I, I joked to the Highbury Spy before kickoff at Stoke. I said, I said uh, as long as we, we don't go in down, we should be all right for this game. Uh, but you know what? We really only just scraped, scraped that result. Um, I mean, how, you know... Okay, you know, uh, Bergovic was great in goal, mm. um, but we still don't look like we've got the teeth. Against West Ham, for that little purple patch, it was like, oh, we've remembered, we can murder people, you know. But um, we've lost that, um, for, to, I don't like to put it this way, the Van Persie rapist sedge. You know, <laughs> the uh, I don't care, I'm getting the fucking ball in the back of the net, don't care what you, you know. That, yeah. that Ian Wrightness, if you like, you know, that yeah. F everyone, I'm getting the ball in the back of the net. And we still dawdle and we, we dilly-dally on the edge of the area too much for my liking. And there's not enough ruthless final, um, final uh, yeah, putting the deal to bed for me. But from a certain point of view, it wasn't Saturday's game whereby it's the first time this year we've played against a team at home who have come up somehow with 26 men behind the ball who stick a beanpole yeah. on the halfway line and occasionally lump a ball up towards him. Poulis decided on a nil-nil, maybe nicking one at a corner before the game. For us to knock that down, I mean, I mean, Kev summed it up really, really quite well um, in that Wenger got it right for the first time in his post-match comments, which was this was going to be a nil-nil or a one-nil. Yeah, but we had games like that when we had Bergkamp and we had Henri and we had the great Arsenal side. Mm. There were teams that were just shut up shop and we could not get past them and we ended up with draws at home. I mean, that even that did happen then. We forget. You know, now we always think, I mean, Steve was saying to me, you know, of course, you know, at half time, why don't we have someone on the halfway line? And we don't run out of defence anymore. We sort of seem to really sort of slow motion, dilly dally, pass the ball out of defence. You know, how many times? Murta Saka to Koscielny to Murta Saka to Koscielny and back to the goalkeeper. And there was a time where it would just be, we'd be streaming up the pitch at White Hart Lane and cutting their balls off. You know mm. what I mean? Sorry, I'm coming out with some really nasty little analogies. Here. You tell it like it is, Basti. You tell it like it is. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, Praddy, what, what are you thinking? I mean, look, obviously, we all remember back in, in the last couple of years at Highbury, I'll, 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 personally, I'll never forget, Clive Tildley once. Um, opposition have got a corner, comes out to Omri on the edge of the box, and you see him, Perez, Lundberg, and even Bergkamp going forward, and just hear him go, here come the cavalry. Uh, and we'd scare the shit out of the opposition and score within about seven or eight seconds. Oh, uh, obviously, we're not showing that all the time, but that 15 minutes against West Ham, that was like watching something at the old stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think what's happening is before Christmas we had effectively four new players in the side. If you add Wilshire in there, because he's been injured for so long. Yep. You had Kozola, you had Podolski, you had Giroud, all trying to find their feet. And you also had Walcott who went and signed a contract. So I think what you had is, I mean, I'm looking at games like Swansea at home, Norwich away, when there's just no cohesion in the side. I mean, you think to yourself, you know, has this side ever actually played together? And instead of having, you know, a bad half and a good half, before we were just having a bad 90 minutes. 
I think the positive we're getting now is at least we're getting 15 minutes, at least we're getting 45 minutes, where we're taking teams apart. I mean, the second half against yeah. Chelsea, we murdered them. Yeah. Um, second half against Liverpool, um, I'd say that 15 minutes spell against West Ham. Um, not so much against Stoke, but I think that's a good thing again that you know you can't expect to go out and beat teams 4-5-1 every week. Uh, but in terms of the actual personnel finally gelling together, I think it's, it's finally getting there. The problem we have is every season we have three or four players leave and it takes half a season for the team to get back together and start to form a sort of unit. Going back to what you said about the Cavalry coming, what we had in that day and what we're getting back now is pace. If you look at that side from two, three years ago, okay, we had Van Persie as a focal point. We didn't have a lot of pace inside with Nazri and Fabregas. They weren't the quickest players. Apparently Burkamp was one of the quickest players at Arsenal back in his day, which surprises me a little bit. <laughs> So I think what we're concentrating on now is the likes of Walcott, the likes of Podolski and the likes of Chamberlain and we are breaking quicker now and I think it's making a difference and I'd like to see us be the counter-attacking side of you know, 2000 to 2005 vintage rather than the tiki-taka of sort of 05 to 08 where we didn't really win anything obviously. Basta, you're itching. You're I'm itching. I'm itching because I just about, one thing that I've just realised then was that um, Chelsea, right, which really that, that, that was the game the big team we've played recently, um, apart from Man City, and uh, other teams, lesser sides, we'd like to say, they've come back against Chelsea and they've got the draw or the win. And we came back from Chelsea and we huffed and puffed and we looked good, but and like you say, we murdered them, but we didn't. And that's the difference. You see, there are other teams. I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea are the opposite of the comeback kings at the moment. They, they seem to be throwing away... Um, mm -hmm what they used to not throw away and, and but we couldn't break that down uh, and that disappoints that worries me a little we bit. We did only have 10 men didn't we from memory? Didn't we? Wasn't that the game we had or was it Man City? Man City. Man City yeah. So we were 11, 11 against. Oh this is it it's official folks Kev's memory is going. It, I can't deny <laughs> it I have, I have definitely problems in the memory department. The editor of Guna memory goes. Oh, <laughs> we had a few chances at the end against Chelsea. I remember the one where was it Cahill who just took it away from Theo yeah. in the last minute we yeah, had a few yeah. chances in the second half to make it 2-2. Oh, we, we had chances, Just but we didn't look. make it 2-2. That's the thing. And other teams who had chances, they made it 2-2 or recently actually beat... Who was it who just beat Chelsea? Uh, Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah. Newcastle, yeah. So, so After being 2-1 down? Exactly. And this is it. Chelsea will capitulate... Uh, uh, you know, uh, as but but um, you know, look. The, the good news is we are actually at least we're, we're we're coming out in the second half and we're having a go. Why we can't come out in the first half and at least give twenty minutes of that? Mm -hmm. um, having said that, against Stoke we did have a couple of chances and and uh, Chamberlain was through and maybe ought to have put one of those two away that he mm. had. And didn't we hit the post as well? I think at one point. Uh, you had uh, Giroud had an open goal from a, a corner, but he headed it back across oh, goal. Well, he really ought to have just put that in. But saddest thing is, part of you thinking he's just following his instructions from the boss. Uh, you know? Get it into the danger area when you're in the danger area. Absolutely, in front of a goal. That's, this, this is a French second division centre forward we paid twelve million pounds for. But um, I, seriously, my uncle Giroudo, I do love him to bits. Listen, five goals and two games didn't he have all three games he's, I think he's very know, good he you know he has scored goals so uh, I think he's an, he could be an Alan Smith actually mm. he holds the ball up well um, he, he's not a bad player he's a good player mm. sometimes he's just a bit gangly in that you know a bit slow um, 
not quite as slow as Mertesacker, but I'm sure we'll move on to that later. It's fun watching him run, actually. He's very, very reminiscent of Bambi on Ice, which is unfortunate. But. <laughs> he's always very upright, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's got, he's got a funny kind of... He almost runs like his head's behind him. Yeah. He's like some sort of cartoon character with his Forrest legs Gump. running in front. And his head Forrest Gump. That's brilliant. <laughs> Forrest so Gump running. Is that, I just kept on running. It was ridiculous. Um, anyway, look, I mean, one thing that comes out of the Liverpool game, comes out of the, the Manchester City game as well, and, uh, as well as the Chelsea game, we did come back into it, but ultimately there was there was nothing for us to turn to. I mean, you've got Benga turns around to the bench and thinking, well, you know, Bergkamp and Henri, have, they've done okay, but I've got Wiltord or Carnu to bring on. I mean, now he turns around and he's got, well, he's so desperate a couple of weeks ago. Scalacci was there, you know, the Brighton reject, allegedly, you know, was um, was there. I mean, we've got no option on the bench, and so it would be really nice if we had a month where we could go out and buy some players. And lo and behold, we did. And uh, oh, yeah. Kev... Our transfer window. Back in November, you've got Arsenal coming out, saying at end of November, yeah, we do need to strengthen. We've got our eyes open. We're looking for players. We're going to do this. The players are talking about David Villa all the time. We can't get near Barcelona's team. Um, we evidently have no attacking ploy to turn to on the bench. Um, what did you make of our behaviour in the transfer window? Conservative and um, unfulfilling. I mean, the bottom line is that uh, when you're 20-odd points off the lead, um, you know things need improving. And uh, I guess it kind of depends whether or not you've already given up on this season. If you've already given up on this season, then you sort of uh, keep your powder dry. Um, but on the assumption that the, it means a lot to the club to make the Champions League... You know, which obviously does um, the way they talk about it being a trophy. Uh, then you would say, well, let's make damn sure we get that fourth place. And uh, the bar buying of one left back, coincidentally after the other first choice one was injured, um, is a little token, in my opinion. There's a lot of money in the bank. You know, the, the fantasy is that uh, Wenger's going to just see out this season, hand over the reins, and a new guy will come in and have a bigger pot of money to spend, and then he can do some serious rebuilding. Hmm. So we're in a holding pattern. However, I don't think that's going to happen. I suspect Arsenal will definitely be here next season. And uh, so is he going to spend the money in the summer, and might it be too little too late by that time? I mean, this is really... The story of the last few seasons in terms of Arsenal's net transfer spend being significantly low and uh, the team gradually suffering as a consequence. So I was very disappointed with the results of the January window but not in the least bit surprised. What about you, Paddy? Uh, were you, like the rest of us, desperate just for another centre forward? I, 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 I sat with Twitter on my phone continuously dragging down at about half nine at night my wife's like what the hell are you doing you <laughs> mug <laughs> <laughs> David Veer's got to come he's got to come and after a while he sort of finally got it into your head that I think the best we're going to do is uh, Nacho Monreal uh, I'm disappointed but um, on the on the on the horizon, we've got a new signing coming back in from uh, African nations. Oh, Javinho's back. Well, <laughs> everything's going to be okay. You've ruined my night. <laughs> You've ruined my night. I'm not, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't disappointed. I was because um, I wasn't expecting anything. 
to mm. be honest. Uh, and when I was, I, I, I wasn't quite as keen as you. <laughs> I waited till about 11 and turned on BBC Two because they had a special programme. It was like little mini January election yeah. night. Now. <laughs> and they turned it into a whole event in itself. It would be like, you know, a cup in its own right, according to Wenger. Uh, <laughs> But, um, and I watched it, and when Monreal came out, I thought, thank God, we're, you know, we've got a left back because, you know, Santos uh, against Liverpool, my God, he was, it, I mean, you know, my, my, my mum could have probably mm. looked not quite as old and fragile as he did. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, uh, mum, if you're listening, sorry about that, didn't mean that. Um, <laughs> anyway, but what, yeah, uh, I, I think what Kev, I, I just, I've just got, I've opened the Guna here because yeah. I do love reading the Guna. And um, it mentions here, right at the opening of, of Kev's opening uh, gambit here, that um, we are currently lying a staggering 21 points behind the leaders in the Premier League table. Naturally, things might change, and I hope they do, either by the time this issue goes on sale or, failing that, the end of the month. It's now the end of the month, and we're still 21 points behind. <laughs> so uh, I think we can take from that trend that things aren't going to get better. No. Um, uh, and... Yes, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, summer is the best we, what, what I'm looking forward to now, really, with or without Wenger, and I think it will be with, as Kev said, I think there will have to be major shufflings. Um, you know, my dream, actually, is Kromke goes uh, and Usmanov comes in, David Dean comes in, w with or without Wenger, I think, as long as they were there, then with Wenger and Dean together, that, that has proved uh, to work in the past, and we need... What we really need is we need... I read another thing in Laguna, um, which um, was about underrated players, and it went on about when Dennis Bergkamp came, how that just changed everything. Mm. And we had this you know, big blockbuster name who came good, played brilliant football, uh, and, and then others joined, and that turned Arsenal into a, a real um, a team that could compete. And unfortunately, um, you know, Monreal's not that guy, obviously. Uh, but there isn't much in January, let's be honest. Let's be fair to Wenger. Who was he really going to sign in January? Who was really available? Well, he could have got David Villa if he made a serious bid. Well, Barcelona just said no, though. Did didn't he want to sell? Well, that's because of the amounts that we were offering. But mm -hmm. I think Wenger saw David, David Villa as, as a kind of desperate, that would have been a desperate last gasp kind of thing again. Not really the ideal player that he really, really wants. I think there's someone at Juventus whose name I forget. Oh, so the, the winger. Zubatic? Um, no, there's another no, one. No, he's a centre half. Stefan Jotovic. Oh, he's at Fiorentina. No, he's an Italian. He's as good as Falcao. Quagliarelli. Oh, that's the one, yeah. Uh, someone mentioned him to me today. And I, I don't know. I think we need, look, we need some serious. Uh, we need someone. Big, serious. We need someone the rest of the team can look up to and play up to. Well, there are two players like that, and they're available. You've got Radamel Falcao, you've got Edison Cavani, who are both available. They do have buyout clauses in their contract. Mm. And what's that going to do? Are we going to have to remortgage the stadium? No, we've got that money in the account. Well, I went to an Arsenal Supporters Trust meeting at the beginning of January, and someone who knows a lot more about Arsenal finances than I do was of the informed opinion that we could certainly with what we have in in the, the bank have afforded Falcao. Mm. You see this is a worrying thing uh, I, mean, I mentioned this in an email to you last week Kev but 
back in November and December, Wenger was coming out well after we were losing to Bradford and teams like that, saying, yeah, I can see this team is weak in certain areas. We've got our the second biggest uh, scouting network in the world. They're out looking for players, and we know that we want to improve. And yet it gets to about the 29th, 30th, and he's like, no, you know, we, we can't find anyone in the entire world. Yet on that Wednesday night, Gibbs gets injured. And within 24 hours, he finds a left-back in another country who happens to be the third choice in an international team. We're being lied to by him, aren't we? Anyone at all. <laughs> I think... Seriously, Pradeep, there's, seriously. There's, there's, a, there's a problem with keeping all that cash in the bank on their balance sheet. Let's say, for example, they've got 60 million. There's two problems they've got. First of all, you've got inflation. Inflation in the 2-3% a year. Year on year, that money's going to erode in value. And the second problem you've got is actually something unique to football, and that's transfer inflation. So let's say last season you wanted to buy the equivalent of a Falcao. It would have cost 40 million. This year's going to cost 50. Mm-hmm. The equivalent of a player next year is going to cost 55 or 60. You look at Cavani, they want 80 for him or something ridiculous like mm-hmm. that. So keeping the money as dry powder, as they say, is absolutely useless for those two reasons. So when the, when the money's there, you might as well spend it because there's no... It, it doesn't help anyone keeping sixty million in the bank account. No one keeps sixty million in cash. No. Why would you do that? Well, uh, if you're the the American owner who only visits England twice a year, you just want the seventy one point seven percent of that uh, in a dividend, don't you? Well, you wouldn't deny interest that. account. Yes, yeah, a lot of ices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, partially it's insurance against uh, failure to qualify for Champions League. However, with the new um, sponsorship deals on stream. Money isn't going to be a problem. Mm. They could afford to actually not be in Champions League next season and not suffer tremendously, really. Um, but they're very conservative. I mean, financially, Arsenal are a supremely well-run business if you're not interested in sporting success. <laughs> uh, because, frankly, they they have achieved the miracle of selling a pup at the price higher than any other group of supporters pays and getting away with it consistently um, which is why there's no real alarm inside the club because ultimately if the season ticket holders do begin to lessen in number it just releases more tickets for tourists and the club are perfectly happy to be selling tickets to people who are only going to go once in their lifetime Mm. because what they'll do in the club shop so, um, business-wise, Arsenal are very sound. Um, however, the myth that they have genuine sporting ambition is beginning to wear a bit thin. Most people with any intelligence can now see through it. And you do worry a little bit about the future of the football club in terms of what we used to know it as, which was something that used to excite us and, and get us really involved. A football club. As Indeed. opposed to a, a business. Well, it's 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 the aim is to turn it into some kind of Disney type um, entertainment. Imagine if we'd have bought Beckham, if Beckham would have said, oh, "All right, I will play for an Inc Premiership club," <laughs> and that would be like selling Disney. But, but I say that in a jokey way. But that actually, had, had six months of Beckham now, I don't know. Maybe it would be a bit ridiculous, and it's a mm. bit. Uh, but God, that would have pleased all the the, the business people because they'd have sold a lot of shirts around the world, right? And uh, and he can take a free kick, and he can, and he is solid, and he's experienced. 
Mm. So maybe someone like that, a, a sort of a, a, a what's the word? Um, uh, someone who's a figurehead, figurehead, and a, a yeah, a, a what icon? Icon? No, there was something else. I'm like a mantle. No, what is it? I can't remember. I've forgotten a, how to speak English. A brand, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, I wasn't thinking of that. It's a, it's a, a masthead, someone that everyone can believe in. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, someone who's what, a talisman, right? You know. Someone who can just uh, say, wow, we're a real club again with a superstar. Let's fucking play up to that, you know. Um, I, can I quote the, your, your, what you said about mm. uh, lying, Wenger lying? Yeah. The, um, uh, the Highbury Spy, right, in the current edition of the Guna, right, said uh, that um, Wenger, in an Al Jazeera interview, said he was ready <laughs> to spend big again because the stadium is paid for and we have the money now. And then the spy says, and my old favourite, um, my first priority is to keep everyone I have already, then add to it. Yeah, right, says the spy. And then he goes on and starts saying, like, first off, this Al Jazeera interview is the sort of guff wenger and the duplicitous lying American conmen on the board usually come out with when they want to rob us of our cash for the next season tickets. And then secondly, he's never spent big, so that's a load of old bollocks. I think there's probably a third leader as well, but I won't go on about it. You that. do realise that um, Nacho Monreal cost exactly the same amount of money as Francis Jeffers did. 8.2, was it? Yeah, 8.3. 8.3. 8.3, that's depressing. But look, let's, let's say we did get the man that, that all the papers thought we wanted. Now, mind the sellings we did actually put in a bid for, albeit £7.50. What did you think of his first performance? You know, on a freezing, windy night. Monreal? Having just arrived from Malaga two days before, it's 20 afternoon. degrees. It was cold. It was cold. Yeah. It was far better than a fat Brazilian um, who yes, doesn't do any warming up when he's technically warming up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it sounds pathetic to talk about the cold, and you know, mm. but if you've been living in Malaga and you just suddenly turn up here and you put on a skimpy little shirt, and like you're going to feel that. I, I believe the expression is "ay caramba." So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought he did all right. Um, he was a he's a bog standard left back. I mean, you name me a left back who's won in a, a league for someone single handed. He was a bit cautious going forwards, but I think that's something he he can run. He is fast, mm. and I think if he watches watches a couple of matches with Gibbs and thinks, oh, all right, I'm going to be really running forward and overtake this. Mm. Or Wenger tells him, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness, it's a difficult giant game to judge him on because there was only one team playing, so. Yeah. Uh, he's unlikely to have too many games like that. Uh, he wasn't tested defensively, really. We well, say that he had eleven, not defensively, but he couldn't really. There wasn't much he could do running up the left wing with well, eleven players. Well, he did a bit in the second half. The yeah. understanding needs to develop. Uh, and in all fairness, Podolski isn't always an easy. Oh, hang on, we started with uh, Oxley Chambers on the left. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it's not a natural. Yeah, it's not. It's not. They're not going to click straight off that kind of combination in fact no. he's not going to click with Podolski either I mean you really need in our team you need I mean I hate to say this but we, you need an Ashley Cole who is basically going to play both uh, fullback and winger and not necessarily be reliant mm. on uh, the being told where to go by his forward player mm. um, it's a very difficult job being a left back at Arsenal at the moment yeah, sadly. Uh, what did you think about him on, on Saturday, Pradeep? He did okay. I mean, like I said, you can't judge him against Stoke because you haven't got someone like uh, Ashley Young or Valencia running down yeah. the side of you trying to score or Gareth Bale. So, actually, I'll tell you what, um, let's judge him when he plays, hopefully, in the North London derby in sort of March. Yeah. He's got Bale and Lennon on either side. That, that, <laughs> that'll probably be more reliable than God. sticking against, I don't know, Peter Crouch, whoever it was. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you the truth... Um, 
you'd rather have him than Santos in the side. The scary thing is, um, let's hope Vermaelen's fit for the Bayern game, because otherwise you're going to have Robin and Ribery against uh, one of the wins against Santos. <laughs> that, that, it could be funny in a tragic way, but I don't want to see that happen. No, I've, already, I've already written that. I'll be honest, I hate to say Who like else can you play at left back? If Vermaelen's no. not fit, Monreal's not <laughs> Gonna be a, who else could you play? I'll play Fabianski there. He's, he's, he's played Sanya as a left back in the Sanya. past. Oh yeah, that's why he wears number three. Um, well, he's not been great at right back, has he? Though, let's be honest. No, true. Uh, but I, you know, we've got we've got some serious we've got players there. I mean, Sanya doesn't look like he really wants to be. Those contract runs out at the end of the season, doesn't he? He's, he's got a year to go, but he's he's more or less already said that he's going. Mm. So. He's not looked himself. I don't think neither he nor Ramsey have been. Um, what they were or promised oh, to be no, since no, no. their I don't, I don't agree with the Ramsey bashing. I agree. I, I, I'm with you, Ian Paddy. Stop Korea. the Ramsey bashing. You think, you think Ramsey's still going to come good? Cause yeah, I as a central midfielder, yeah, not on the left side of midfield, uh, trying to play as a winger. Well, maybe he's out of position, that yeah. might be it. But give, him, give him 15, 20 games in the middle of the park, with Wilshire next to him, or Arteta next to him, and then you can see whether he's a good player. But is he going to get that? Yeah. He will, he'll have to eventually. He signed a long contract. Yeah, he's got five years, so obviously the manager's said to him, listen, you're part of the future, you need to start playing in the middle. And lo and behold, as soon as he signs the contract, he's back in the middle. Mm. Mm. But, well, let's see. I, 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 my jury's still out on him. I'm not bashing him, but I don't think that... I don't, he hasn't yet proven to me that he's, he's uh, what I call a world-class midfielder. There's a great YouTube video with Frank Lampard when he's at West Ham, and there's a whole West Ham fans... And you've got Harry Redknapp was in charge at the time and you've got Lampard and they're doing a press conference and he's only 20, 21 years old as Ramsey is now. And everyone's just asking, what do you see in this guy? He's not that great. When's he ever going to come good? You need to give these guys time. Seriously, I'll say the same with Ramsey. There's enough there to say he'll be a player. You have humbled me, Pradeep. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, um, going back to the question I was aiming for, was obviously we did get uh, Nacho Monreal, uh, Nacho Nacho Man. If you had the guitar, I'm pretty certain we would have sung that by now, would Phil. Um, it is clear that the, the play we would have got if we had the chance of getting him for the £7.50 and 24 <laughs> tracksuits, which I imagine was our offer, we would have got David Villa from Barcelona. Even if he came across, Kev, we've persisted with this 4-2-3-1 for at least two and a half years. Where do you take a five foot, six inch, used to be quick, now his knees have gone centre forward in a four two three one, or do you revolutionise it and finally go back to four four two? I wish we would revolutionise it. Um, you've got to remember that uh, the formation we do play is based loosely on Barcelona's. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not quite the same because Barcelona have two forward midfielders, we have one. So the system we play was designed for Fabregas. Um, which now departed, but we we continue with it. Um, but Villa played with Ibrahimovic uh, for Barcelona as a left-sided flank player, um, so he could have played probably left or right wide attack, um, giving the manager options. He could have replaced Giroud as the central forward, uh, which he's played there for Spain. So. Um, he would have provided a lot of competition amongst the front players um, and no one could no one would have been able to take their position for granted um, so he would have offered a lot of options in that respect because basically everyone would have had to up their game mm. which uh, needs to happen if you're going to be successful if you look at the Manchester United team 
even Wayne Rooney isn't necessarily guaranteed a starting spot. I think you could say maybe Robin van Persie is, and probably Michael Carrick, and uh, Javier Hernandez. Yeah. No, he's not guaranteed a starting spot. Oh no, sorry, but, oh, sorry, guaranteed. Sorry. Oh sorry, I I, I'm talking about the ones that, that sorry, sorry. I can say they're going to start the game. There's not many of them. Oh no, sorry, yeah, I thought uh, yes. and that's what you need uh, a successful team. You've got to have people knocking on the door, which is strength in depth. So you're signing a player like David Villa would give you that up front. Mm -hmm. However, we don't have too many people knocking on the door in defence, really. So, uh, and even at the goalkeeper. So the depth isn't there. Villa would have been a, a superstar signing, a feel-good signing, a bit like Andre Arshavin in 2009. That went not completely off the rails. Villa's 31. I mean, that's why Arsenal only offered £15.5 million. Because they're not going to gamble much more than that on a player that's 31. So, uh, having said that, I would have loved to have seen him come. But I think people would have liked Aston Villa, let alone David Villa, to come over. Well, we haven't got anyone... Look, we've got what we've got now, haven't we? Um, and one thing I've noticed that, just tactically, I, I think might be an idea is that when we've got a corner, we used to, I remember at Highbury, we used to think, oh great, we've got a corner, because that's when we used to we used to steam forward yeah. and run out of defence. Boldy near post. Yeah. And well, and, and post that as well. Um, now what I don't understand is, we used to have Ian Wright on the halfway line as well, um, which would take out a couple of their defenders. And now we've got player, like we've got short players like Jack Wilshire and, and Theo Walcott, who can run like a bullet. Now if you had Jack Wilshire and Theo Walcott, on either side of the centre circle, that would take four of their players out, and we could break quickly. Uh, you know, uh, you, why do we need everyone on, on the on, in the six-yard area? That's what Chelsea did under Mourinho. Always had two on the halfway line. Yeah. Always. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, to me, that's something that that we did used to do, and we've stopped, and we and we come so slowly out of defence. We never run out of defence anymore. Mm. And there's nothing to go to. There's no, there's no target. Man. Listen, I know we don't want to play Route One football. But as an alternative, occasionally, why not? You know, give it a little, shake it up a bit with it within the ninety minutes, and, and try a couple of other things as well. Mm. Put, put also put the other team, uh, 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 you know, uh, let them think about. Oh dear, what are they doing now? Hang on, this is a you know, put them at, uh, off their um, comfort zone because if they're all in our penalty area, um, it, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty comfortable. About mm. that, I should think. I don't know. I just threw that one in there. Something that popped up. What do you think, Pradeep? I mean, bear in mind we're a club that only four or five years ago, if you turn 30 years old, mm -hmm. you are getting one year at a time and you will take a £10,000 a, a week pay cut every year and you will say thank you. And now it's okay for us to offer £15.5 million for a 31-year-old whose knees don't work, who's never ventured out of Spain in his life. He's exactly what we wanted, essentially, the drink in the last chance. Uh, I think that's the, the sort of thing in the back of your mind which led you to think maybe we're not going to sign him. <clears throat> that sort of thing in the back of your mind is hang on a second we don't usually do this sort of business mm -hmm. now if we do it's probably going to go wrong because A he's never played as you said in England so it takes time for these guys to acclimatise it's cold you don't know what's going to do with his hamstrings etc etc and the other thing is he's had two massive injuries you know in the space of four years mm -hmm. I think the other problem is not sure where he'd fit in in the side on a day to day basis I don't want to see him on the left because he's more effective in the centre, mm -hmm. but then if you play him in the centre, is he physically enough to play against you know the big centre backs? I don't yeah. know. But again, I mean, we're talking in this and buts really because he didn't come in, did he? And we've got to stick to what we've got at the moment. And you know, the good thing is 
if you look at the teams above us, bar Man United and Man City, Spurs have got one fit striker and he's just come back from Africa. Um, Everton look as if they're suffering from the pace a little bit. Uh, we've got more options than them and we might just have enough options to get third. And I'm, I'm including Chelsea in that because they look in disarray. I mean, looking at our other, our, our two main options up front, I mean, if everyone's fit, Giroud's going to start as the one in the 4-2-3-1 as you have to be big and tall and hold the ball up for the three behind you. Um, at the start of the season, he got an awful lot of kicking from our own fans as well as the press in this country. But, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, he scored five goals in the best part of that five mm-hmm. games, I think it was. Um, and no, three games. The, yeah, and that was, it was two against Brighton, uh, yeah. both of which were really, really well-taken goals. I mean, what are you thinking, Kev? Uh, has he done enough to prove, prove everyone else wrong? I think, um, given the valuation of players these days, um, he's proven that he's worth £12 million. Um, I mean... I think people are impressed by what I'd call his honesty Mm. Um, because they do like to see players who are going to give their all and I think Giroud never hides Um, he does miss chances yep but he's scored some cracking goals as well some of his players his first touch and his layoffs are actually very good Uh, Basti said earlier there was an element of Alan Smith about him and I've certainly seen that um, I think given that it is his first season here um, I've always thought even when he was missing those chances early on I thought well the guy's getting into the position to miss them that's a start because mm. if you're not even in the position you're not going to get the chance mm. so um, and gradually he started to actually find the net um, so I, I'm, I mean I, what I'd like to see is him as maybe you know, not the first choice, but but a really quality backup. If we were serious, we'd have we'd have a Cavani, mm. you know, and then you'd have Giroud as an option for like the last twenty five mm. minutes, exactly. and maybe you could even put them both on together. Depending so he'd on be the a Bentner, wouldn't he? Someone yeah, you bring, well, yes. obviously a grade up from a bender. But what I mean <laughs> is someone, someone who comes off the bench and, and can, you know, or, or in certain games starts. Well, I think he gets a hard time because he, physically he doesn't look particularly elegant. But mm. what the hell? We are playing in the Premier League and a lot of games are very ugly. And um, even, even against Brighton, you know, it was bloody hard work. Mm. But he worked hard. How long has he played for Arsenal And now? got two goals. How long has he played for Arsenal? Six months. Six months. Now, don't forget when Burkamp first joined, Henri first joined, they went through a period as well of, of not, you know, it wasn't happening for them at first. Mm. Um, we kept our patience. And I think we have to a degree also with Giroud. And let's see if he's got a bit more in his locker because he might still yet go up a notch. Mm. This is a man who, uh, until two years ago, was playing for Tour in the um, second division uh, in France. I mean, it's kind of like. Um, uh, Juventus turn around to England and they sign Kevin Phillips it's that equivalent I mean what are you thinking uh, Pradeep Pradee? are you thinking about going out getting a Giroudo number 12 uh, shirt his biggest sin was not being uh, not being Van Persie wasn't it uh, so, so you know yeah he had the sitters against uh, Southampton first game Liverpool that was an awful one then yeah. he had one at Chelsea at the end and you think so, who will be bought here he's not right is he and at that point it was like if he gets 10 to 12 goals a season we'll be alright with that and what he's done is he's actually he's applied himself he hasn't complained he hasn't sulked he's worked hard and I think the fans like him because he actually he's an honest player mm-hmm. he's not done too badly has he? 
Really? He Don't does, help. He does what he says in the tin. Mm. <laughs> That's the best thing you can say about him. But I think Kev's right. You know, these players we've got on loan at the moment and and, uh, and Jovino, uh players like that, I think we could, we, you know, if we could maybe whittle out that dead wood, uh, get some of that 70 million and, and then upgrade our front line, <laughs> let's put it that way, um, then uh, that would be the way forward. Though, wage bills, yes, we do like a bit of that. But, you yeah. talk about upgrading our front line, bearing in mind, like I mentioned earlier, last season we had this shitty right winger who couldn't cross and we should just get rid of him, let alone let his fucking contract wind down. Out of nowhere, he's now earning £100,000 a week and, oh dear God, Theo Walcott's now the best centre forward in the country. It's an awful lot of people say, I'd say ask me in two years, I'll let you know what I think. Kev, do you think Theo's now proving good value for his money even though he's, well, doubled, tripled his cash? I noticed against Stoke that he's actually getting a much higher percentage of crosses in. Now, quite why this miracle has occurred is beyond me. <laughs> However, it's wonderful to see, given the commitment we've made to paying him huge amounts of money for the next, uh, whatever it is, three, four seasons, although the word is that he will go in 2015. Um, so there's definite improvement in the player. Um, he still does things which frustrate the hell out of you, but he does more good things than he used to. So percentage-wise, he is showing definite improvement. I don't know how old he is now. 23. 23. So, I mean, you know, there's an argument that uh, Henri at 23 wasn't the finished product. Uh, he's never going to be Henri, but at the same time, it's possible that he could improve. And you can't argue with the fact that he does contribute a lot of goals and assists um, I mean, I just think he, he gets so many opportunities to do things that enough of them are going to come off to actually uh, play a part. Um, I've always seen him as an impact sub, to be fair. But against Stoke, I thought we had a bloody good game and uh, more of them. I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong about Theo because, frankly, mm. I'm, I'd given up on the fella. Against Chelsea and Liverpool, he was really he was impressive, I thought. His yeah. goals in both games were brilliantly taken. Brilliantly taken. I mean, at against Stoke on Saturday, we had that situation. I haven't seen him do this for years. I think the last player I saw do this was Henri himself, which was he's up against Andy Wilkinson on the halfway line, just punts the ball past him and says, Come on, let's go for a jog. Uh, and he outruns him, gets 60,000 people going absolutely crazy. We haven't seen that for ages. Well, Gerard, uh, Gerard outran him, though, once at the Liverpool. He, Gerard, Gerard shows... <laughs> five No, no, it, Gerard showed his experience because yeah. Gerard was watching his left back. Yeah. And it was twice uh, when his left back was just beaten. But Gerard was already running before Theo had even poked yeah. it past mm. him. Yeah. And that is football intelligence. And that is why Gerard is an absolutely brilliant player. Hey, great. <laughs> so fair play to him. The saddest thing is that Liverpool's left back that night, uh, that night was England's first choice right back. Mm. Um, Pradeep, are you, are you like me thinking if we did convert to a four-four-two and we had Theo playing off of uh, Olivier Giroud's headers, we'd, we'd win everything, let alone just the Premier League? Yeah, we would, wouldn't we? Stay um, <laughs> <laughs> so easy. So easy. easy. Uh, when we had Henri, what did he, he didn't really play up top in a conventional 4-4-2 did he sort of 4-4-1-1 really yeah that's probably what you'd like to see if um, if, if Walcott was going to play up there I don't think he's technically as good as Henri to pull that off though mm. I don't think he holds the ball up as well as Henri I, I think Henri was more he looked like an athlete where sometimes you look at Walcott he still looks like a little kid who's really fast 
<laughs> but you can't. He, it, I think what he needs is the confidence to take on the player. What when he does, and he shows he can do that, like that goal against Liverpool, just beat beat his man and and crack it into the net. And if he can if he can find that confidence to just take players on with his pace, mm. he'll outrun them. And if he's now got the finish as well, why can, you know I think a lot. It's it, look that sort of position. It's all about belief. And if you're there and you think oh no, and then you go back and you pass it back to. Ramsey who gives it over to mm-hmm. well, you know and then it, we're going left and right again uh, sometimes he's just got to take the risk and take the player on his, his best runs actually come when he's running in from the uh, right mm. he comes in from the right yeah. he cuts in and he doesn't necessarily need to start right in the centre because he saw it against Chelsea when he sort of drifted into the middle and that ball came over the top so when he gets in between that uh, between the full back and the centre half that's his best position mm. rather than between the two centre-halves. Yeah. Well, I mean, didn't an element of Thierry Henry build a career out of cutting in from the left-hand yeah, exactly, side? And, yeah. exactly. Anyway, um, I think, sadly, we are safe to say that we are not going to win the Premier League this year. I know, I know, I'm giving up a little bit too much, a little bit too early, I know, I know. But Not according to Jens Lehmann. But, oh, for sure. Jens Lehmann thinks we're going to win the Premier League. That was recorded in, in September. 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I do think it's safe to say we are literally, physically, and only in two competitions, the FA Cup and the Champions League. And you've got the situation whereby against Brighton, we did field a weakened team that, that day and we had to revert to our substitutes uh, on those days being Walcott and Wilshire to come on and give us a hand and they did pull off a 3-2 win away at the, the mighty Brighton. Um, Whereas coming up, we've got Blackburn on the Saturday, um, and you'd like to think, okay, let's do this, win that, go into the quarterfinals, only you know three games in the FA Cup, jobs are good. And however, on the Tuesday, we're playing Bayern München uh, at home in oh. the Champions League. Um, oh. Kev, I think sadly we know which game Arsenal's going to prioritise, but will he make the right decision? Well, he's certainly got more chance of winning the FA Cup than he has the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Uh, however. Um, he will believe that um, a weakened team will have enough in the tank to beat Blackburn. So he'll, he'll play the percentages, he'll rest some players for Bayern Munich and uh, hopefully we'll get away with it. The, the problem is further down the line you get to the quarter-final, you might have a more difficult tie, is he going to gamble again? I mean, Wenger knows how important it is to win a trophy any trophy um, because he did play very strong teams in both cup competitions earlier in the season I mean FA Cup third round it was a fairly strong team mm-hmm. um, but uh, because Brighton was sandwiched between the uh, midweek games with um, Liverpool and uh, West, Ham. West, Ham. West Ham you know premiership points you know much more important so you know he's back to that phase of prioritising his two beloved things which are qualifying for the Champions League and winning the Champions League and trust me it is Arsenal's absolute obsession to win the Champions League that's the one thing he wants to do and I bet that if the miracle occurred and Arsenal ever won that damn trophy he would retire immediately Mm. because that's what he wants (laughs) if there's one good thing we've got going for us and uh is that um, I mean I'm I'm petrified about Bayern Munich because to be honest with you they are very solid and as someone mentioned earlier you know the thought of uh, their attackers Robin and uh, Ribery running at running at what we've got in defence now is uh, quite a scary thought um, 
that having been said, Bayern have quite a bad... Um, they've got a good record against us, but they don't have a good record against British clubs generally. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. Um, our fingers crossed, very crossed for that. I mean, the worst case scenario, of course, is he plays a weakened team against Blackpool, Blackburn. Uh, and we get kicked out of the FA Cup and then it's oh dear you know yeah. season over basically yeah, like, seriously so the season could be over by this Tuesday um, having said that um, on, a br- on a brighter note Tuesday I, the 19th Tuesday, oh, Tuesday the 19th oh, we've still got two weeks left then brilliant I'll phone my mum yeah uh, what about you Braddy would you play the kids on a Saturday to make sure you put out mm. the full whack against Brian Brian or would you think you know what just play the best team both games no, but I'd rest a few players. I'd probably rest Wilshire. I'd probably rest Kozula. I'd rest Sanya, because you expect him to play against Bayern. Mm. Jenkinson there. I'd play Santos. Just for shitting Yes, good point, actually. <laughs> Cheerleader. Uh, Surely and he's a tough minutes, one. It's, it's a tough one. I don't know who you'd rest um, in, in terms of the depth that we've got. You'd probably stick Jovino in there and start. Chamberlain would start. Um, Rosicki can play Diaby can play Ramsey can play so actually even having rested a few of the players we've still got a fairly strong side out there you probably put Mersacker and Koscielny in the middle and then uh, you'd have to play Chesney at the back because we don't really have a decent um, sub-goalkeeper so even though we'd, uh, you wouldn't rest everyone but you'd probably rest the players that you want to start against Bayern mm. and that would include what, Walcott Wilshire, Kozula um, and Arteta would you not, though, maybe in the cases of, like as he did with Kazora and Podolski, give them 20 minutes at the end? Yeah, possibly. stick them on the bench. Oh, stick yeah, them on the bench, keep them on the bench. And the double edged sword of if we're still drawing or losing against Blackburn, bring them on, win that yeah. tie, plus get them warmed up a little bit for, for the mm, imminent yeah. match without tiring them out yeah. too much, but keep them warm. Definitely. Well, gents, uh, we are running out of time, but before we go, uh, you've done this a fair few times so far tonight, to be honest, Basti, but having a delve into the latest issue of the Gooner, um, loads of things to read at the moment, but my favourite thing, because I'm biased, I think he's an absolutely fabulous human being, but there's an interview with Jens Lehmann, which took place back in uh, back in September where he's well as far as we're concerned it's February and he's predicting we're going to win the league God bless him I wouldn't argue with him to his face but even so I mean Basti what's your favourite Jens memory from his years oh, at the club dear <laughs> I'm, um, I'm coming to all of you so get thinking get thinking oh, that, you've thrown that one on me uh, favourite Jens memory probably saving the penalty in the in the semi-final of the Champions League against was it Villarreal absolutely he made Juan Roman Raquel may have to fuck off back to South Juan? America yeah. Juan Raquel may uh, that was pr- that's probably it because on the whole I think Jens you know Jens was a nutter um, he was one of these classic I'm a goalkeeper you've got to be mad to be a goalkeeper and he was um, and of course you know I'm I'm sure you're going to ask what's my least favourite one. Um, we all know what that is. And, sure. And I'm still gutted for Robert Pires and for everyone else. And in the Gunnar interview, incidentally, which took place in September, you know, he goes on about how, um, yes, he was asked, what was it he was asked? How, ter- what, you know, what, what was it he was asked, Kev? I can't find well, it. Well, I don't know. You're asking him to read his mind. He's on page eight, I think. Is it page eight? <laughs> okay. Page eight. By God, by the way, the, the woman on page 13 in the Highbury Spy is rather good looking. 13, unlucky for some. But not for her. Right, um, yes, going back to the Champions League final against Barcelona. What memories do you have? Was the red card one of your biggest regrets? And Jens says, yes, it is, as I couldn't get it right after, after because I was too old to go to another Champions League final. So he's really, he was just thinking about his career, not about... Um, 
that we that Arsenal lost the Champions League. I mean, someone with a bit of humility would have said, "Yeah, it was the worst of my life. I let my side down." You know, the whole we lost the Champions League because of, <laughs> because of that. Uh, it wasn't that; it was that he could he was too old to play for another Champions League, which I think says something about the man. Kev, aside from smiling at him when you were when you were talking to him, have you got any good memories? Or when you see him, do you think, "Oh, I'm interviewing this bastard"? It has, <laughs> it has to be. It has to be the Wigan game. When it, you remember, <laughs> yeah. the Wigan keeper spent half the game wasting time. I love this. <laughs> Phil Dale, the referee. Phil Dale. And then Arsenal took the lead and suddenly Wigan up their pace. However, it went out for a goal kick to Arsenal. And Jens just took the piss in royal fashion. Oh, yeah. and it was just wonderful. To he watch. turned around to the ball boy, didn't he? He said, don't throw it back. I'll come and get it. Goes over the advertising board. Picks the ball up. Tries to throw it over. It hits the advertising board. Goes into the crowd. He puts his hand and says, oh, I'm really sorry. And Phil Dowd uses his fat body to go up to him and book him. And the look on Layman's face it just says... I've won. I've won. <laughs> yeah, There's nothing more yeah. to do. It was classic Jens, and the man is a real character. The interesting thing is that he's such a gentle soul off the field, and yet the contrast to what he was on the field yeah. is just absolutely astonishing. But it shows what a competitor he was. Um, brilliant, brilliant guy. To finish us, finish us off with something wonderful, Pradeep, what makes you think of Jens and makes you smile? Oh God! Um, oh, I've asked the wrong question. <laughs> not much, really. I mean, uh, I didn't. Really, I was a massive fan of it at the time. Never was. A, I never raced him at the time because, first of all, he followed David Seaman. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was you know that's an impossible task to do. But actually, when you look back and you think who's followed Yens, you think to yourself, actually, he was a bloody good keeper because we had. I mean, you think about it now. Al Munia mm. took him out the side. Do you yeah. remember at the start of the was it the oh seven oh eight season when Jens started? He made a few mistakes at the start. Two Fulham mistakes in two games. Fulham at the first game against Fulham mm-hmm. when we I think we snuck a win. Yeah. And then we got a draw against Blackburn away, and he made another mistake, and we never saw him again. I think that was a shame. I think it was a shame for us in terms of you know getting somewhere in that league that season. And it was a shame because you know what followed him was Almunia and then Fabianski, and I think only now with Chesney. Are we getting anywhere near to having a goalkeeper on his level? And we didn't. I didn't appreciate it back then. I'm sorry, Jens. I didn't appreciate it. You mean Chesney, Johan Cruyff, Chesney? Yes. <laughs> with, with the the little. What was he doing against Liverpool? He does. He has got some funny moments. He's Chesney. got that mad bit about him, hasn't he? Yeah. He's a bit weird. He's a bit um, strange. Sadly, we do have this habit of buying goalkeepers or only footballers because it says so on their passport. Um, yeah. So. Sadly, it's almost time to wrap up, but before we do, a reminder that the next issue of the Guna, number 233, will go on sale outside the stadium at the forthcoming home FA Cup fifth round tie against Blackburn Rovers. The current issue will be on sale outside Sunderland Away next weekend. The Guna can also be purchased to be posted to you through the store on the onlineguna.com website, and there's an e-edition available if you prefer to read it on your phone or tablet. Finally, the usual reminder is that if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, our address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And with that, it's goodbye from Mustafa. Uh, goodbye. Kevin. I'll see And Pradeep. See you later. We'll be back in early March to mull over events between now and then, including the first leg of Arsenal's Champions League tie against Bayern München and the FA Cup developments, amongst other things. Until then, this is your host, David Udo, saying thanks for listening. 
la di da di da la di da di di all good friends and jolly good company way